covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thank you so much for taking some time with us this week as we've got a jam-packed program. My name's Matt Pauley. I am your host, and I'll be with you over the course of the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. The uh, housekeeping items to take care of that we always do here at the front of the program. If you do listen to us via Apple Podcasts, if you can leave a ranking and review, that would be great. It would be much appreciated. It's something you only have to do a single time. So thank you if you can do that, and thank you to all the people who have previously done that. Next off, if you want to comment uh, on anything that we talk about during the podcast, or if you just have a general comment about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me. You can email me, matt.pauly at wtmj.com, or you can uh, tweet at me, which is generally the easier and better and quicker way to get at me. The Twitter handle is at mattpauly on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. All right, here's what we've got coming up this week. We're going to double dip with our featured guest, Jim Goulart, is going to join us during our social media conversation and also our Down on the Farm report. We're going to hit on a few of the big uh, topics throughout the minor league organization, so that's going to be coming up. And, of course, talk about the current state of the team with him as well. So that's all on the way. And we'll go back through uh, the headlines of the week as well. One pretty big headline with a flurry of moves that were made on one single day. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit right now, actually, before we even get into our technical headline segment. I guess my my monologue this week could be titled, It's Going to Be Okay, They're Going to Be Fine. Probably They're Going to Be Fine would be the better thing. The Brewers have the best record in the National League right now. They are playing great baseball especially in terms of wins and losses. At the end of the day, isn't that all that matters? How many games you're winning, how few games you're losing? And they continue to win a lot more games than they're losing, which is a good thing, obviously. I continue to be somewhat amazed by how worried and how upset the fan base can be at some things and look, you as a fan, you have the right to feel any way you want, and I'm, I'm not trying to take a swipe at, at your feelings. I guess I'm just trying to continue to kind of go through it and figure out where you're coming from. Because I'm somebody, I'm a simple, I say this all the time, I'm a simple guy, 34 and 20, when the team still obviously has some areas that they need to get better at. They have a four-game lead right now in the National League Central. Not that a four-game lead means anything on May 27th when we're recording this, but a four-game lead's nice on May 27th. They have a a two-and-a-half game lead for the best record right now uh, in the National League. They've got the third best record overall in all of baseball. Only the Red Sox and Yankees have a better record. Brewers are tied with the Astros for the third best record in all of baseball. There's a lot of really good stuff going on. And every baseball team over the course of 162 games has some things go not right. And my they'll be fine thing this week is featured on two individuals. Shortstop Orlando Arcia, who's now at AAA Colorado Springs, and closer Corey Knable, who blows a save this past week and on Sunday gives up a home run in a two-run game and the Brewers end up winning by one. And I have been amazed too strong of a word. I've been intrigued by the, the response to those things. And I know it's not always right to gauge the feelings of a fan base off of social media. Statistics will say that it's a, it's a minority of people who have, say, Twitter, which is where I consume most of my kind of responses to things. I know that people who call into a post-game show, it is a very, 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 very tiny percentage of your overall audience that will call into a radio show. And I love it when people call. I love talking to people. If you're somebody who listens to the post-game show and you're scared to call in, call in. We'll have a conversation. It'll be fun. In fact, uh, 
I had a great conversation this past week with somebody that uh, I completely disagreed with about bunting, but he came in with a really reasoned take, and uh, we, we sat and we talked for a little bit about it. It was a fun conversation, even though I didn't agree with him. So don't be afraid to call if you do listen to the postgame show on WTMJ. I get, but So let's start with Orlando Arcia. Guy's not hitting. Guy is not hitting. He is the best defensive shortstop in baseball by the metrics. And if you judge defensive players on the advanced analytic statistic, defensive runs saved, you can make the argument that he's tied for the second best uh, defensive player in baseball. Because at least when he was demoted, I haven't looked at the uh, statistics since he's been sent down, but as of the moment he was sent down to AAA, he was tied for second in all of baseball in defensive runs saved. He's also somebody who is pretty popular in the clubhouse, and he's very well-liked, and he's part of that clubhouse culture and that clubhouse environment. So there's been two responses this past week. One response is the hey, he's not hitting, send him to Colorado Springs. He's not going to be there that long. He's going to be there a couple weeks, three weeks maybe, however long it might be. He's not going to be there long. He's going to find his stroke, and he's going to be back, and everything's going to be fine. And this is a young player who's hit a speed bump, and and he's going to get back down, or he's going to get back up. But then there's also the response of fans of, what are they doing? They're not taking the human element. Look at what some of the comments were out of the clubhouse after he was sent down. Let him work through these issues at the big league level. He continues to provide such a great glove that you can uh, that he's worth having on the 25-man roster even when he's not hitting. I understand both sides of it. I'm not here to argue that point at this moment. I, I'm My basic take is I'm fine with him being sent down. I would have been fine with him staying up. I'm one of the few people who I'm really fine either way. I get, I, I think both roads probably lead to him finally getting it back together. I've got no doubt that he is going to get it back together. I think if he would have never left the 25-man roster, that would have happened. By sending him down to AAA, you might speed up that process a little bit. But again, he's fine. He's going to be fine. And that's my point here. He's going to be fine. I have no doubt whatsoever that as this season goes along, barring injury or something else very, very, very unexpected, that Orlando Arcia is going to be the everyday shortstop. But you know who I want back? I want, I'm a, this is my new, this is going to be one of my new rallying cries. I want ice cream eating Orlando Arcia back. And if you don't know what I'm making reference to, there was the game last year where he made a play in foul territory or was going to make a play in foul territory and somebody there in the first row was eating ice cream and he grabbed the spoon and he took a bite. I'll tell you what, to do that, to have the just just that moment shows shows swag. There's swagger that goes along with that. To be the player who's gonna go there and eat a bite of ice cream in the middle of a game from a fan, like you are you are feeling everything at that moment. You just are. And it was right in the middle of him playing well and everything was going right for him and he took a bite of ice cream and he was just feeling it. So I want ice cream eating Orlando Arcia back. And I I don't mean that in the sense that he needs to go eat more ice cream. I mean that in the sense of that guy at that moment, the guy who took a bite of ice cream, was a guy who was playing with all the confidence in the world, had all the swagger in the world, and everything was going. So repeat with me. Ice cream eating Orlando Arcia is who the Brewers need to have back. Corey Knable is going to be fine. He is. I think he's going to be fine. Now, if a month from now he's continuing to give up home runs and, and blowing leads, we can revisit it. But it is really early to be as concerned about Corey Knable as people are. Over the course of the weekend, he had a blown save. Brewers ended up winning the game. That was on Friday. And then on Sunday, he gives up a home run in a two-run game but still gets the save. And I had people calling into my postgame show on Sunday and people texting in saying that Corey Knable just doesn't have it anymore, doesn't have it. And people were bringing up uh, other closers in the past who just lose it. Now, the, the, the credible point right there is Unless your name is Mariano Rivera, generally the shelf life for a closer is relatively short. Uh, 
the high-level closers seem to do it for a few years, and then they don't anymore, and it changes for them. And I, I, that's a very valid point. But go look at the ages of guys when that happens generally. Not all the time, but generally. And then throw in the fact that Corey Knable was injured pretty much the entire season up until the last week and a half, two weeks, and he pushed it. He pushed it through his rehab to get back. When it happened, he was supposed to miss four to eight weeks, and he got back basically at the four-week mark. He's he's not at the same place that other people are at, and he, I think he's still kind of finding the feel. And this past week, he did have some good appearances. It's it's not like he's just been bad every single time out, and that's the that's the thing about this. I wasn't hearing from people being worried about Corey Knable when he had scoreless innings with strikeouts in his two saves during the Arizona series. He looked really good during those couple games. Uh, he's somebody who he does issue more walks than you would like all the time. He's uh, Craig Council even mentioned it in his post-game press conference on Sunday after the game that Knable's not a guy that beats you with location. He beats you by throwing the ball past you and he beats you with the curveball. That's what he does. And he's not gonna he he's not, you know, painting the corners all the time. That's not part of his game. But he's gonna be fine. And if he's not going to be fine, we don't know that yet. You know, it's it's not time to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm probably talking to a very minority group of Brewers fans right now, but I was I was pretty surprised on Saturday and Sunday how many people just wanted to see Josh Hader or Jeremy Jeffers always in the ninth inning and not Corey Knable. Knable was an all-star closer last year, and he missed a month of the season and returned on May 9th. So he's, he's only been back for, for a couple weeks and has only been back in that ninth inning role uh, for a little while as well. So he's going to be fine. I say this all the time. I want to see Brewers fans enjoy the ride. There is so much, so much focus right now on What's going to happen when Eric Thames is back? Uh, what's going to what's going to happen when this happens? What's going to happen when this happens? I always say it: things do work out, and if it gets to a point that they're not working out, we'll deal with it at that point in time. But I, I'll, I'll continue to remind you: this this seems to be turning into a pretty special season for the Brewers, and being really worried about some things that, in all likelihood, are going to work themselves out. Don't do it to yourself. Just enjoy the ride because it's a it's a good ride to be on here at the moment. All right, uh, this week uh, on the program again, Jim Goulart's going to join us in just a few moments. Yeah, we've got him for the social media conversation and on the down uh, on the farm segment. But before that, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. All right, we will go in order of what happened this past week. And really, the, the main headlines are based upon players coming and going as the Brewers continue to just do a masterful job of utilizing the roster, both from a 25-man and from a 40-man standpoint. Uh, the week started by Chase Anderson getting activated from the disabled list, and they sent Freddie Peralta went down uh, back down then a few days later. Uh, they activated Ryan Braun and Zach Davies from the disabled list, and with that, G-Man Choi and Brandon Woodruff both headed to Colorado Springs. Uh, then the, the more notable things happened on Friday. This was a very big day for the team. That was the day that Orlando RC was sent down to Colorado Springs. We hit on that during our first segment. Uh, they also designated catcher Jet Bandy for assignment. And Bandy, while he was not producing offensively, was a big part of that clubhouse environment. And that kind of changes the dynamic of the clubhouse. But Jet Bandy is designated for assignment. I guess there's still a chance that he stays inside the organization. But, you know, when they designated Andrew Susak for assignment, they were able to uh, work out a trade. Was it Baltimore that they worked out that trade with? I think it was. Either way, they worked out a trade. So uh, is, is Bandy more valuable than Susak? Everybody needs catching. Everybody needs catching. And even if, he, if they don't work out a trade and he doesn't get claimed by anybody, 
uh, and he's given the opportunity to stay in the organization, does he take that opportunity? Sometimes guys want to want to go to a new organization organization and get a new opportunity. So uh, Craig Council said this one feels more permanent when talking about Jeff Bandy when comparing that to the Orlando Arcia move. Uh, also on that day, they sent down Jorge Lopez. That goes along with uh, the – uh, just that rotating spot in the final spot in the ro- in, in the bullpen uh, when they brought up Adrian Hauser. Adrian Hauser ended up pitching on uh, on Saturday. That was the game that they won, putting up 17 runs, and it was a laugher. And I, I think just real quick, and I know this is the headline segment, but I want to touch on this for just a moment. I've always been somebody that thought the more transactions you have as a team, the more players you use the worse you're going to do as a team. The Brewers are turning that thought process on its head. And the way that they are expertly manipulating the 25- and 40-man rosters has really been interesting to watch. And you know, just let's take this Adrian Hauser thing for a second. So Adrian Hauser throws two innings on Saturday. He threw two scoreless innings. That's great that he threw the scoreless innings, but all that really mattered was that he threw two scoreless innings. That's all you or all that he just threw the two innings. He didn't they didn't have to be scoreless. Nice that he threw two scoreless innings, but his job that day was to go eat innings. He did it at a very high level, but all he had to do was eat innings. If he would have given up three or four runs or something, it would have been fine. Because his job that day was to eat innings. Because what that did was it made sure that they did not have to use anybody else in the bullpen. And you got a win on Saturday where Corey Knable, where Josh Hader, where Jeremy Jeffress, where Matt Albers, none of those guys have to pitch. So I would argue, and it, yeah, I, I would argue that Adrian Hauser pitching on Saturday has an impact on the game on Sunday. And he wasn't even there anymore. He was sent back down after throwing the multiple innings. But he was able to help out the bullpen, and then they bring somebody else in. So whether it's a Jorge Lopez or an Adrian Hauser or whoever else it might be, when they go out there and throw multiple innings and then get sent right back down after the game, they're helping win that game, but they're also helping win future games as well because those high-leverage relievers are not being uh, not being used. Uh, so... Uh, again, so uh, Jorge Lopez was sent down that day. Also uh, mentioned that uh, the Brewers acquire catcher Eric Kratz from the New York Yankees for future considerations, either cash considerations or a player to be named. Uh, and Kratz had a nice first game on Saturday when he hit a home run. He is the oldest player, by the way, to play for the Brewers uh, since Craig Council played for the Brewers. Uh, Eric Sogard was brought back up as well. Uh, after uh, Adrian Hauser gets called up on that day, and then he pitched the the two innings, he got sent back down, and then Jacob Barnes is recalled from Colorado Springs. And Barnes has been a guy who's been a staple in the bullpen up until being sent down earlier this year. So we'll see if he's back at a point now where uh, they stick with him or not. But just fun to watch how they're going about uh, the roster. Last thing for you in the headlines of the week, uh, catcher Stephen Vogt had the shoulder surgery. Good news. Uh, the the surgery was not quite as invasive as some thought it would be. Uh, the 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 rotator cuff and the labrum didn't need quite as much work as originally thought. So he should be good to go for spring training next year. Whether that's with the Brewers or another club, that remains to be seen. But he was so emotional and so upset and worrying about his career when he first uh, found out that he was probably going to have to go under the knife again. Good to hear that he is able to uh, not have that. He's going to be with the team a lot going forward. He's a good guy to have in the clubhouse. He's a good guy to have in the dugout. Uh, Kind of a coach-like figure here moving forward for uh, the club. So that's good for them to have. All right, that is this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to uh, welcome back onto the podcast one of our favorite guests. 
He is the link reporter over at BrewerFan.net. He is uh, Jim Goulart. Jim, uh, and we should say a couple things here. First off, it's uh, Memorial Day weekend, and it's pretty late on uh, Sunday night, especially on the East Coast where Jim is uh, located. And Jim is also a Celtics fan. And as we're talking, we're just literally moments after the Celtics had their season come to an end. So for Jim, for, for all those reasons, plus the normal reasons, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking some time. It's quite all right. Um, mad props to uh, the Bucks for what they accomplished this season. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit raw here. But um, I, as I explained to you just um, a little earlier as well, that uh, my, my allegiance and, and fandom for the Brewers far surpasses anything that uh, the local flavor of my Celtics uh, fandom could uh, could bear. So uh, go Brewers, and uh, let's, let's talk crew. Well, and... I want to ask you one question that's kind of related to the Celtics. And just stick with me here. I was thinking about this today when I knew I was going to be talking to you. The obvious major differences between a a Brad Stevens and a Craig Council is that Council played at the highest level and Stevens didn't. But I I don't think Craig Council, the player has as much of an impact on Craig Council, the manager, as maybe Craig Council, the the thoughtful, educated person does on, on Craig Council, the manager. So with that, you, you could not get away from talk about Brad Stevens for the better part of the NBA playoffs. Both young coaches, both coaches who look younger than they actually are, both coaches that are very willing to embrace new ideas and do things differently. You think it's fair to say there's some similarities between uh, a Brad Stevens and a Craig Council? It's certainly proving to be the case. I mean, let's... Craig Council is just um, impressing more and more, let's say, in terms of pressing the right buttons. And it's you're seeing that graphic that Fox Sports places with the overall record for Craig and each, each game he's inching closer to that 500 mark which is really incredible consider where he where the team was when he when he came in and uh, where they have the potential to be to be going now um, there is something very very uh, special it's amazing how a uh, fantastic bullpen will make a manager look better but there's a reason that bullpen is performing as it is and it's not just the bullpen obviously but the Mr. Council is, is all the right buttons. It seems like he's taking all the analytics and input from various locations within the organization. And wow, it's just the results are there, and we're enjoying the ride. You mentioned the bullpen, though, and I find it interesting that really when you look at this team, if you look at three areas, if you look at, let's say even four areas, if you look at defense slash fielding, hitting, starting pitching, and relief pitching, of those four areas, the only area that has been really, really good consistently is the bullpen. Starting pitching's been up and down, obviously. Fielding's been pretty good recently, but it had a rough start to the season. The hitting continues to be inconsistent the last few days, notwithstanding. It does show you how important just just having a strong bullpen, and we've seen that in the playoffs the last few years. Obviously, the teams that have strong bullpens tend to do well in the postseason, but my goodness, just having that bullpen has really propelled the Brewers to a lot of wins. As we speak, okay, the the team with the rotation of Verlander, Keuchel, McCullers, Cole, and Morton has the same record as the Milwaukee Brewers, 34 and 20 as of Sunday night. Uh, it's so that's pretty incredible in and of itself. And uh, the bullpen has certainly been the. Uh, this is historic what we're seeing with this bullpen, Matt. It really is, and you wonder just how long. We're all going to just, our mouths are going to drop the first time that uh, Jeffress or Hader um, falter at all. Uh, Knable is struggling, yet, you know, it hasn't been disastrous in terms of one loss results. And all I look around and I see what's going on with Colorado, for instance, where they spent, what, $27 million on, on their bullpen this year. And take a look at what those three $9 million, um, uh, with some of the, the their setup guys are doing there and elsewhere around baseball, and yet uh, David Stearns and his squad, they found Matt Albers on cheap money comparatively, and they're getting the results, and I think you've seen the the quote uh, elsewhere, but 
the entire Brewer bullpen, what what they what they cost is just a fraction of what these other bullpens across baseball um, are after last off season. So it's kudos all around. It's just it's been fun, fun, fun. It's funny because people were. There were some people who were freaking out when Anthony Swarzak was not going to be back with this team. And Swarzak did a really nice job last year, and at the right price, it would have been great to have him back with the Brewers. This isn't a shot at Swarzak, and we don't know if he would have gotten injured with the Brewers the way he's been injured with the Mets this year. He's on the 60-day DL, but they have not missed a beat, and in fact, they are better even without Swarzak. Yeah, it's... um. I, I love the idea of this this concept. It's not a novel concept, but we can see in the back of their mind that they just need to have um, somebody prepared to go in, in this long man role. Although that's not quite, you know, that's not Jacob Barnes. And you might argue that as of today, there isn't that uh, you know perfect guy, that perfect Jorge Lopez, Adrian Hauser that can go in and, and suck up not only in a mop-up role, three to four innings, but sometimes you're just so far ahead that you want that guy to go the final three innings of the game and get that vulture save where you win, you know, by by six runs, seven runs. Um, so there, there could be future adjustments down the road, but there's nobody cringeworthy in that bullpen right now where you go, oh, he's warming up, you know? It's it's just uh, what a collection and, and just in... In Stearns, we trust it at this point. It's it just amazing that uh, this collection that we get to watch on a night-in and night-out basis, and it's, it's kind of it's predictable, yet it's unpredictable, but you can see the set pattern and the thought process and getting Josh Hader the proper rest and the, the, the two innings when necessary out of these guys. It's, it's like a maestro right now, the way that, that, that Craig and Derek Johnson are manipulating these arms and the, the, the out-getting by the starting staff. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's built for the long haul. Um, I wonder if it's built for a best-of-five or a best-of-seven. But at this point, what a regular season, uh, Mark, they are on pace for. And... Uh, I'm not going to throw out like the, you know, this isn't the 2001 Mariners of 115 wins or something, but they are just collecting these these wins and putting them in their pocket. And as we saw last year, it's pretty important. It, it is. And I'll, I don't know how you felt when watching the games on, on Sunday and Saturday. You know, you watch enough baseball. You, you get kind of a sense of things, and sometimes you get a sense of, okay, this is not going to be their day, and sometimes you get a sense of, oh, they're fine, even if things aren't going well at the moment. On Saturday, and even this is more true for Sunday than Saturday, uh, but both those games, when the Brewers were down, I never thought that they were in trouble. And on Sunday, I'll tell you what, I, there is no point in that game on Sunday that if you would have come up and asked me who's going to win this game, that I would have not said the Brewers are going to find a way to win this. And that's just, it, I don't know what I'm asking you, but it's just interesting because I can't no. be the only one who feels that it. way. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun right now that you just assume they're going to win almost. I get it. And, and sometimes it's a little bit of, you know, where... The other team is as well. You play the Mets in a four-game series and you miss Jacob deGrom. That's a break right there. And when you beat, you manage to sneak one by Noah Syndergaard to even the series, and then you look at you know Jason Vargas, and if you've, you've followed MLB this year, you know all the troubles that he's, he's had. And Zach Wheeler has hardly been impressive this year. So you look at, you just looked at three out of the four matchups, and despite falling to both Stephen Matz on Thursday night, um, you felt like okay. Once you got past Syndergaard with that win, this this I don't want to say it's in the bag, but you felt like this is uh, uh, this matches up nicely. And, and kind of why I hinted at before, and over the regular season long haul, uh, I just don't see this team going into a prolonged slump. But um, it's too early to talk about those those postseason potential matchups is putting the cart way before the horse but uh, that's something that uh, I think the organization will need to focus on um, because you are going to see the Jacob DeGrom type not uh, necessarily the Mets I'm saying but you're going to see that type of pitcher later on and, and that, it's, 
not even June 1st yet, yeah. but isn't it something that we can at least, I think that's part of the whole fun of this, this baseball season is, is project and put ourselves in, in late September and October. And um, it's, it's a little silly at this point. Let's enjoy the, the, where we are. and I'll, I'll pull back the reins a little bit, I guess. Okay, so let's, let's go here then. Is it, is it right to still be a little bit concerned about the inconsistencies of the offense? Because even as they've gone and won so many games, on that 10-game road trip that they go 7-3 and three on, the three losses that they score, they score 0-1 and 1 runs, and then, then their one loss uh, so far on this homestand, it was a shutout loss. They've got nine shutouts, so they obviously are winning a lot of games, but too often the offense just is not showing up. What does that say? It says they're what thirty-four and eleven when they score a run. <laughs> so um, the I think there's some randomness in the whole the shutout thing. I mean, if, if they had scored only one run in, in five of those games, does it, does it really make it that much better? I think that the, the shutout piece is something that the fans can can easily grab onto, and certainly it's no fun during a home game where you're sitting in the ballpark and and all those zeros go up on the board. I think we're going to see that stabilize. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about that. I think as long as you've got two guys at the top of the lineup healthy, um, there's there's no reason to be overly concerned about that. And won't it be fascinating when you know Eric Thames is ready to come back and do his thing? Um, they'll always continue to say things will work themselves out. Good problem to have. We all know all the quotes. Um, but my goodness. Um, if the Cleveland Indians are saying we, we paid Edwin Encarnacion, who's still doing okay, $60 million when we had basically his uh, somebody better in Jesus Aguiar right in our back pocket, <laughs> and we waived him, uh, that was certainly an astute pickup by David Stearns and, and Matt Arnold and the gang. I think we had a previous conversation. Correct me if I'm not remembering correctly, but I thought it was us that have a previous conversation about the the one and two spot and who should be there. And I was always in favor of the Kane and Yelich at the top. And it's and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. Uh, more than anything else, I'm just saying, isn't it fun right now to watch what those two guys are doing at the top of the order? Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it, absolutely. Um, I think it was... Um Two things that I've seen in the last over the last ten days that I don't want to see over the year is, is Hernan Perez hitting leadoff and Hernan Perez hitting fifth. And I think sometimes when you're trying to squeeze in these guys for a little bit of rest, um, I don't want to say it's it's Craig Council's uh, Achilles heel, but um, it there's a bit of of love there that um, I don't always quite understand when when the lineup comes out, but. Uh, Certainly, those are going to be oddities, and you, if those two stay healthy, meaning Kane and Yelich, um, when you play 153, 155 games, there's going to be games when they're not in the lineup. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's those what, how great is it turning out that within, what was it, one hour of the off season, when those, that trade was consummated, the signing happened, um, I'll, I'll never forget because I was putting together uh, my little audio compilation um, of archives that day, and I found a, a Brent Suter archive. Now, he's a um, Cincinnati guy, and he was on the air in Cincinnati for, a, for an in-studio, like, hour-long interview. And during that interview is when the news broke on both players. And, of course, Suter's all, already a guy who's pretty animated, and you could, you could picture him as he's making these comments live on air about, uh, like, oh, really? You know, wow. And, and sure enough, these opened the entire baseball world's eyes for that one day. And, and sure enough, look, it's, it, it's proven to be incredibly, incredibly astute moves and, and moves that are setting the tone for the entire season. Amazing. Uh Go back to Jonathan VR for a second and that leadoff spot, more specifically when you talked about Hernan Perez leading off. Does it sometimes feel like it It feels this way to me, and it's, it's, it's hard to really put words around it, but it's almost like sometimes they're trying to make sure that they keep Jonathan VR in check. They're, you know, on days that, you know, with Arcia being sent down or when, or when Arcia had a day off, 
They never moved VR over to shortstop for a day. He was always at second. They don't bat him lead off on days that uh, a Kane has a day off, or, or you know what, what, or Kane has to be moved down in the lineup because Yelich is off or whatever it might be. It really seems like he's going to be second, and he's going to bat low in the order, no matter how, what he's doing, how well he's producing, and it's uh, I, I don't, I mean they, they're, it's just interesting to look at. I think it's almost as if they're saying um, you try to do too much when we we place you otherwise. You're, you're, it dawned on me the other day as well when, because early in his early in that rookie season and when he was first moved off of short upon I see his arrival, you know, he, he there were all the quotes that he still, you know, hey, this is the position I played my entire career growing up. I'm a shortstop, and um, yeah, they've shown no inclination at all. And they've also um, been tempted. I mean, I think he's batted high in the order a couple of times this year, maybe um, in particular when Yelich had the uh, DL stint. But it seems that they're quite comfortable with him lowering the order, and it's like, okay, this is how we're going to rein this guy in from making the silly mistakes or from overswinging. Um, is, you know, he's just not going to get his 40-plus steals that way, but... He's, he definitely has changed his approach, which is you know a benefit to him and, and uh, good job by him. But he, I think you've also um, picked up a good point there that uh, they—it's just another almost as if they're looking at another psychological way to manage this team, in addition to the the X's and O's. Yeah, and he has been in this one spot in four different games this year, 17 at-bats as the one-hitter, and then all but four of the other at-bats have come uh, six through six through nine, so he doesn't spend yep. a whole lot of time up there. Since we're talking about middle infielders, Orlando Arcia gets sent down, and this was this is maybe the biggest story of the past week, and to me it's interesting because this is one of those stories that seems like everybody has a strong opinion on. Either you're on the side of, hey, this guy's struggling offensively. you got to perform. Yeah, there's of course he should be sent down to AAA to get his hitting together, and then he'll be back. And then there's the other school of thought that this guy's the best defensive shortstop in baseball. He's second in all baseball in defensive runs saved. He's very important in the clubhouse. He's very important to the Latin American players. Let him work through the kinks at the big league level. Keep him on that 25-man roster. And Jim, I'll tell you what, people. Uh, there's not a lot of indifferent people on this uh, on on this one. The people are very strong in their beliefs, one side or the other. I fall on um, a little bit in the middle. Believe it or not, I don't want to disagree with you being um, you know super strong in one way or the other. But I will tell you that um, I I do appreciate that his defense this year, and this is from somebody who's who's seen just about every inning of every game. Um, it's been spectacular. I don't get to see, you know, I watch quick pitch, uh, you know, on MLB Network, uh, most overnights or early mornings, and even then you don't get to see, you hear about it, but you don't get to see like the Andrews and Simmons plays as, as, you know, so I'm sure that there's, he's still amazing and that there are others out there, but my goodness, Arcia this year has, has reined in some of those um, mental mistakes, the casual mistakes, it's been spectacular, on the, and from everything I read online from my friends on the Brewers blogosphere, all those, um, it all has added up to you know an incredible amount of defensive value and run saved. That being said, um, what a benefit it will be if he, if I see, is able to go down for whether it's ten days or twenty days, and just get his head together and get some swing mechanics together in such a way that when he comes back, he can parlay those advancements along with the defense. Um, you know, I, Salad, Tyler Saladino's been another one of those additions that we're going to see the real Tyler Saladino in terms of offense soon. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that, that this, you know, this stroke, which looks very strong right now, will settle towards his career norms. Um, at least slightly, but um, we need to see Arcia back up here, but I am comfortable because I think there's such a big payoff potentially to see that Arcia from the second half of last year at the bat, then you combine it with the defense. I think it's a worthwhile move, and um, speaking of mood, I, I, I think that clubhouse is strong enough to overcome the loss of a 23-year-old uh, 
young man, no, no matter how exciting he is at the end of the uh, home run celebration. Uh, the the clubhouse did change a little bit this week because we we mentioned how big of a role Arcia plays in that. Jet Bandy, who is not producing offensively, designated for assignment. They bring in a, a guy who's now the oldest guy on the team, oldest player the Brewers have had since Craig Council was playing for him in, in Eric Kratz. And he had a home run in his first start. He's he's a guy who's spent more time at AAA than the big leagues really over the last few years. But he does have uh, a lot of years in the big leagues at least a little bit. It, that If nothing else, Jim, I think the thing that those moves show is while they appreciate what's going on inside the clubhouse, at the end of the day, it's about producing, and it's about getting 25 guys who are going to give you the best opportunity to win. And I think they made a pretty big statement. That was a win-now statement, even as the, the best team in the National League when it happened. That was a win-now statement when they made those two moves. Absolutely, and you, you know, all you've heard in the, in the past is, is you know, Jet Bandy's value in terms of the, the clubhouse and the funniest guy in the clubhouse. Well, that, it, it, I'm sorry, Jet, but it only goes so far. And there was just, there just wasn't a lot of hope in, in seeing additional value there. And yet, at the same time, how about this organizational um, thought process in terms of? We could have scoured big league and AAA rosters in search of, okay, who are they going to target? And you know they've got professional scouts in the International League. You know you've got, they've got guys on the ground. Um, and somehow none of us would have you know, thrown a dart on the dartboard and, and picked out you know, Eric Kratz, 37 years old, soon to be 38, sitting in Scranton, Wilkesbury somewhere in the Yankee system and said, yeah, this is the guy. Now, look, it's been, what, one game in terms of uh, actually playing, but it's just going to show that they are willing to think uh, of things like veteran leadership, of potential uh, overall um, contribution, and they're willing to go outside of the norm, I mean, just a bit, and this is this was the move, and we're like, really, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll run with this for now, and we'll see where it goes. But it it smells a little bit like the value that um, you know Ross brought to the Cubs in past years, and I'm not putting Eric Kratz at, at that level, or um, you know, just that type of catcher. And it's been a while since the Brewers had uh, that type of of, of backup. Um, back stuck in the uh, in the organization so yeah let's go with it on Saturday, Kratz did a post-game radio interview with Jeff Levering, and the thing that I really pulled out of his conversation was uh, he was talking about when the team got down 3 nothing in the first inning, and he said he was amazed uh, sitting in the dugout because everybody's saying it's not going to be enough, it's not going to be enough, and he thought it was really cool to be inside of this uh, in this dugout and in this team atmosphere where you're down 3 nothing, and everybody's all revved up saying, no, oh, that's not enough, we're fine, we're fine. It's it's cool to hear that from you know a 21 year old, but to hear that from a 37 year old to walk into that environment, Jim, we know that this is a good clubhouse and this is a special group of guys. But to just get a little bit of an insight into how different maybe it is with Milwaukee compared to other teams from a guy who's seen just about everything in baseball, to me that was pretty darn cool. Yeah, and it's just enough. It's just more evidence of the the clubhouse culture. That has has permeated um, throughout this organization. Really, you just see this trajectory in terms of where is you just um, there's somebody in that leap clubhouse we probably don't even realize, and maybe it is Bronny. I don't know, but there's somebody who's been able to um, make sure that the positive is accentuated, but also stifled some of the rumblings, I guess, that you might otherwise hear, and it's tough to. Tough to rumble when you're 34 and 20 and, and you're pacing well, so to speak, and you're winning both on the road and now at home is two. Um, so, if if there is a quote secret leader in there, or if, whether it's a younger guy like Aguiar or somebody who somehow has stepped up, um, it's they have a, an incredible presentation that they're making to the public right now in, in a united front and a one for all. And how easy is that to embrace as a fan? It's the, it's the easiest type of team to embrace, especially when they're talented. 
Jim, I'm going to have you hold tight here for uh, just a second. We are double dipping this week. Occasionally uh, we do this. We've done it with uh, Brad Ford a couple times where we bring in a guest to uh, talk inside of our social media conversation and also are uh, down on the farm. And those of you who uh, know Jim and follow Jim know that he is very, very, very well informed of what's going on throughout the minor league system. So good opportunity this week, uh, something that we haven't done with uh, Jim before too much, but to get his take on uh, some of the uh, compelling storylines down on the farm. So without further ado, let's move on to the next portion of the podcast. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. And as we just said, we are uh, continuing on with uh, Jim Goulart, who was our uh, featured guest. Again, if you want to follow him on Twitter, I encourage you to do so. Uh, Jim is at Mass underscore Haas. That's M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. And uh, he follows the minor leagues. He always we, uh, His uh, Twitter bio talks about tossing out the minor league minutiae. He really follows uh, this organization from top to bottom uh, just as well as anybody else out there. And uh, we haven't really taken advantage of uh, his minor league expertise here on the podcast as much as we should. So we are going to uh, do that today as we do keep uh, Jim over here into the uh, Down on the Farm segment. And Jim, I guess uh, the correct way to really begin this segment with you is probably talk about the minor league player who is getting... Uh, more attention than any other minor league player, at least in my estimation, uh, throughout the entire organization. And when you're the number one prospect in the organization, that happens. It's Keston here. Uh, look, I'll be honest with you. I mean, this guy, he, the beginning of his season, a little bit of a bump there. He, he wasn't the dominant hitter, but he came out of that. He is just absolutely rolling right now. You never really see a guy go throughout their entire minor league career without you know, facing some sort of adversity and really being uh, hitting a, a long extended slump. We haven't seen that yet. Just the, the beginning of the season this year is barely worth mentioning from my perspective. I might just be most interested to see what happens when he finally does hit a true slump and how he responds to it. Yeah, it's um, he's finding his extra base stroke. Um, everything just seems to be in the gaps, and, and yes, it was a slow, maybe first three, three and a half, four weeks, um, but that is not an easy ballpark to, uh, to hit in. I think that's one thing that's kind of underplayed, is that uh, both the Carolina League and the Southern League, at those two crucial le- levels for the Brewers, advanced A and double A, um, tend to really suppress offense, Cura's bat is it, it's a seventy-plus tool. It's just um, so strong, and now all of a sudden he's he's finding the extra base stroke as well. Um, so it's just a matter of time before he's joining a talented Double A squad, and he'll get probably a little bit of Triple A seasoning next year. But by the middle of next year, uh, it's very likely that he'll be your second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. I would not be shocked, and I've said this since the beginning of the year. This is not something new. I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. I I wouldn't be shocked, especially if maybe the Sky Sox are in the playoffs this year and their season extends further than Biloxi. I would not be Mm -hmm. shocked for them to give him a couple weeks of AAA time at the end of the year. I thought you might even push a little little further (laughs) than that um, with a bat off the bench. In September, I don't when, want to start his know, clock. The, that's when, that, that's when, where when I would go. Rosters can expand because um, if you think about it, when when rosters do expand, um, by then you know I don't want to say that the but there is some wheat that can be cut from the forty man you know in, in two or three months from now, and we don't necessarily need to you know disappoint some of those players by by going over them. But there's some guys that are on the edge of that forty man, and yeah, you could see. Um, some adjustments made where people who have just been red hot during the, the minor league season um, find a spot earlier than anticipated because if this central division is going to come down like I think it will, there's going to be some room 
for some of these contributors to uh, come up and when one or two games makes all the difference. I don't think it's in the David Stearns playbook to start a guy's clock that early. I agree. I mean, I'm a little bit getting dreamy here, but um, at the same time, uh, let's just realize that uh, there's a lot that goes with the whole first-round pick. Uh, I don't want to say stigma, but you know, the Brewers can draft talented players in rounds two, three, and four, but the fan remembers the guys that come to Miller Park and get interviewed by, by B.A. And, and Bill Schroeder uh, during their first-round tour visit. And, uh, you know, we remembered Clint Calder from seven years ago. I still remember when he was here during that interview. And we've seen some other first-round picks uh, since then that uh, haven't exactly um, worked out. So this this one, barring injury and um, it, with position players, you, you almost don't have to say barring injury, even though he's sure has got his own potential issues there um, with the yet-to-be surgically repaired and hopefully never surgically repaired elbow. Um, with position players, it's just a matter of will they perform or won't they, and he's given every indication he will. All right, speaking of first-rounders, has it finally clicked for Corey Ray? Let me tell you, um, Southern League, as I mentioned earlier, and, and he's not exactly you know blowing it up, but he's come coming pretty close. It's um, it's been impressive, and it's you know he could have just this could have been a really really tough situation in 2018, and again he is just putting up together. Um, 256, I think, currently isn't going to jump off the page, but the on-base percentage is there. The steal percentage is really impressive. So, and and the, there's no indication that the defense has has faltered. The tools are all there, and now he's building some confidence. And thank goodness, because it it was needed. And I just see this. I just see Corey Ray continuing to improve in such a way that uh, I, he's going to be a big leaguer at some point. This is not a, a bust pick. This is a pick that um, in a young man who um, should be able to continue um, this upward trend, and it's, it's very, very encouraging to see. Um, you know, 26 extra base hits out of his 51 hits thus far, um, taking taking his walks, strikeouts more under control than they had been in the past, still high, but not nearly as bad as his prior years. Again, with the high on-base percentage, um, you know the attitude is strong. Uh, Corey Ray, is, it's another nice storyline from this Brewers organizational season thus far. Trey Supak got a big call-up going to Double uh, A Biloxi. He makes mm-hmm. his Biloxi debut. Five innings, uh, two runs on five hits, four strikeouts, four walks. This is a guy who's done himself some good in terms of really uh, presenting himself on the radar for for folks to take a look at. Yeah, I mean, thanks to Jason Rogers and the Pirates organization again. Um, the, you know that trade hasn't. You know, if Keon Broxton was the other piece of that trade, and certainly uh, had presented um, value. But um, Supak is another one um, that it's big-bodied kid doing well, getting progressed. There's another young man, um, Zach Brown, up in Biloxi as well. That's doing. I gotta make sure I say it right here. Biloxi. I'm gonna put the Massachusetts spin on that. Sorry about that. But um, regardless. Uh, you, all you want to see is some progression from um, these kids, and when you see the bump, you know that the Brewers, um, you know Tom Flanagan and the staff, getting input from the minor league coaches, the Rovers, everything else. That's what you you start to have real faith in the organization when everything's clicking like this. That when they do bump somebody up, um, or even if they adjust uh, downwards sometimes, but you, there's rhyme or reason to it all, and. Um, I don't believe this this the Shupak um, bump didn't seem to be injury related. Like on another end, you know, we had to fill. No, this was just a simple reward for performing, and uh, he continues his climb. When you looked at the catchers who might open eyes this year with the Wisconsin Timberwolves, not even open eyes, but you know, have success. I don't think Peyton Henry was the guy you thought of first, but he's putting together a really nice season there. 
his pedigree just from, um, first of all, he's a very young man who's got, um, you know, his, his father was a coach and just has a very, very, the more you read about his his background in Utah, which, you know, first of all, you, you're not going to be exposed always to the highest level of caliber playing, even on a travel team there. You really have to spread your wings to get tested um, just based on, you know, um, your population and, and density in terms of talent there. But uh, what I get impressed, in, and one of the reasons that I'm, I love the fact that the, the affiliates um, do such a great job with um, – archiving, you know, audio interviews and stuff. And, of course, you know, uh, Chris Merring, Kyle Lohman do a great job with Wisconsin, is when you hear somebody like a Peyton Henry discuss what it was like to catch Zach Davies during Davies' rehab the other day. And this, this young man wasn't fawning or gushing or overwhelmed by the moment at all. And he is just um, so impressive when you hear the maturity of some of these you know, you, you kind of almost recognize it right away. And then you see the progress he's made with that this year. It's it's really encouraging that um, now we have another catcher to, to follow in such a way that um, really could progress in a super exciting way. All right, just a couple more quick things for you. Adrian Hauser gets kind of a, a triple-A call-up by way of the Major League team. It's going to be interesting to see how he responds to Colorado Springs in the Pacific Coast League. Yeah, um, I, I, just, I, I was trying to be patient with the whole Colorado Springs atmosphere thing, but I, I'm so ready to say goodbye to that, Matt. And I, I love a lot of the staff behind the scenes and all that, but let's just rip a Band-Aid off in 2019, and who knows if it's going to be Fresno or Vegas, which is no better, really, but the, the whole Colorado Springs experience in terms of... Um, our young pitchers or even our more experienced pitchers they can say all the right things about well you learn how to pitch there and no it's it's horrible <laughs> and uh let's just uh yes he'll have to adjust uh he should be fine i think the fastball is going to play you know it's it's the corbin burns um who's been affected by it and some some of the other young pitchers uh i'm not sure what they're doing with John Perrin right now, and, and it's a little bit of a mishmash in terms of that, but I think that the, the playing conditions um, really complicate things there, and uh, House should be fine, and, and it's what's really interesting about this is the Bruce, it's like I touched on earlier, they, they're going to continually rotate um, that final spot in the bullpen for somebody who can maintain um, who can be a two and three inning guy consistently? And I'm not like I said just recently um, with Jacob Barnes coming back up. He's not necessarily that guy. So for the first time in a while, they don't really have that that guy in the bullpen right now. And do you put Hauser back in the rotation and keep him stretched out that way, or do you keep him in a role where you're going uh, with short starts, but um, so that he can be ready on a on a quick fall? They're going to be bouncing the, these 40-man guys. Um, it's almost like Jorge Lopez was like, oh, I love being in the big leagues and playing in this. Boy, I know if I'm called on for for three-inning outing, I'm going home the next day because they need that <laughs> fresh arm. I, I would argue the Vegas thing with you because they're opening a brand-new ballpark next year. That's going to be that's going to be a really good place to be for a AAA team. Plus, there's so many baseball players who live in Vegas in the offseason. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Nashville, where maybe you can go sign some guys who are going to be on the fringe where they have the attitude, okay, either I'll be in the big leagues or I'll get to sleep at home at night. So if whoever ends up in Vegas now that they're going to have that new ballpark next year, I think that's going to be a great AAA situation. Yeah, and any new ballpark, you know the training facilities are going to be top-notch, um, the cages, um, all that stuff. I know that even travel um, out of Vegas is maybe even more convenient than it is just because it's such a hub for, for flights here, there, and everywhere. So no matter where the brewers are in the country, you know they know they're going to be able to make a relatively quick flight um, in and out of there. So, yeah, it, that's going to be... One of the side stories to watch um, this fall is, is where the Brewers land in AAA. We know it won't be Colorado Springs, um, and good luck to the, the Pioneer League and, and whatever they've got planned there, and maybe the Brewers still have a presence there with the 
Helena moving, but we, we don't know that for sure yet exactly where that's all going to land. Jim, you've been incredibly gracious with your time on a late night on the East Coast after your basketball team had their season come to an end. Hopefully this conversation got your uh, mind off uh, that for a little bit. But as always, really appreciate the time. Uh, for folks who want to check out BrewerFan.net and everything you guys have going over there, uh, what, what can they find? Sure. Um, BrewerFan.net is, is really it, it, what it's all about. It's a, it's a fan forum. Where um, just it's it's well moderated to the effect that you're not going to find uh, trolls, you're not going to find improper language. All you're going to find is good solid brewer talk. Um, we do invite those to. Uh, we have a, a mini um, little online form you fill out within a day or two. You're you're accepted into the community. Not a difficult process. So join the fun. If you want to just be a lurker and just read all the wonderful conversations that. Are, our fan base has it's it's not over the top um you know detailed in analytics so that part of thing you're not going to be you know shied away because of that it's just good old brewer talk and specifically um the two things that i try to get my hand in the most is just maintaining and uh providing a one-stop shop where you can get all the minor league updates within our form on a daily basis and the other thing I've done over the past year or so is, is tried to just cull together from all the different sources across the, the airwaves, um, including, of course, this podcast, is just putting together links that um, one spot, you can click on a link in our Major League Forum with all the archived media where you can be just driving around in your car, on your work commute, or maybe running errands, and uh, there's all your brewers talk, not just from the local on-air personalities, but any players, coaches, and other experts they talk to across the, the land. So I, I hope it's convenient, and I hope it's people have been enjoying that. You can also find Jim on Twitter at Mass, M-A-S-S underscore Haas, M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. Jim, great to talk to you. This was a fun conversation. I look forward to doing it again. I look forward to it, too. Maybe let's see. Let's extrapolate things. 34 and 20. I will talk to you when they are 68 and 40. How about that? Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Bye. That's Jim Goulart from uh, BrewerFan.net. Again, he is the uh, link reporter and also tossing out the minor league minutia, and we do appreciate him taking some time with us. That is just about going to do it for this edition of the Brewers Extra Innings podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. As always, we do record this on Sunday night, so just remember that as you uh, listen to uh, what we were talking about. It was coming through the vision of where the team was at in terms of the Sunday night when we were recording so here's what's coming up this week for the club uh they've got a big series you know they've not as good as they have been this year the one of the areas that uh, they have struggled has been against the national league central they've been really good against everybody else so this is this is namely because of the the one and seven record against the chicago cubs which i, I think i'm in the minority here but it's um i'm not too worried about it i just that seems more anomaly than anything else to me but the overall record against the national league central they're 10 and 13 they're 24 and 7 against everybody else which uh, we can we can dive into the numbers as much as we want to do and find really cool interesting tidbits there but the bottom line is you do want to see them perform better against the national league central and they will have that opportunity starting on monday there's a pretty good chance with it being a day game on monday memorial day that you are listening to this podcast after that game has already come to an end two of the three games in the series will be day contest as uh, they'll play at 110 on monday then 640 on tuesday and then 1210 is the game time coming up on Wednesday. So that's what uh, that's what the first part of the week looks like. Brewers against the Cardinals. Uh, the Brewers are 3-3 three and three against St. Louis so far this year. They will take Thursday off, and then they will travel to Chicago for a weekend series going Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday's night game and then Saturday and Sunday are both going to be 1-10 starts. And then the week after that, they've got a little bit of a light week when uh, they're going to have a Monday and a Thursday off with a couple games in Cleveland in between. So uh, getting into a part of the schedule that's a little bit lighter, back-to-back Thursdays off, a Monday off in there as well. This is what you get. They started the season a little bit earlier this week, or not this week, this year, obviously. And uh, with that, 
you've got a few more off days during the course of the season. All right, that's going to do it for uh, the podcast. Once again, a big thank you to uh, Jim Goulart, my guest, for uh, coming on the program. Don't forget, you can always uh, listen to all of the Brewers games on WTMJ Radio 620 across the state. And uh, also, if you uh, ever need to get in contact with me, you can do so by uh, emailing matt.pauly at wtmj.com or the easier way and uh, the way to get a quicker response from me is tweeting at me at Matt Pauly on air on Twitter. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening to Brewers Experience, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.